In 2011, I shared a message that year. God spoke to me that that was going to be a very interesting year, a year of disorder, disorganization, chaos, and delay. Most of you did not like me anymore after that message. I didn't like me after that message. But it, true, it proved to be a very true word is that it was a very unusual year. So as we moved into 2012, I was really believing God for a good word. And sure enough, even as 2011 was marked by delay, and we know that delay can be both divine and demonic. And we need to always discern when something's being held back, which it is. Many times divine delay, God is working something in and working something through our life. We need to agree with that process. But consequently or subsequently, we also need to understand that if it's a demonic delay, it's something that we need to push aside. But then moving into 2012, God spoke very clearly to me. He said, this is going to be a year of sudden resolution. And where things have been held back, where things have been delayed, there's going to come resolution and inheritance. And it's going to happen suddenly. And I've talked to many people and they've already seen some of the, the seeds of this. Some, some, in some cases, the full-blown reality of this word. And yet I've talked to others and they've yet to come into the fullness of what I think God intends for us to have. And so either it's not a good word, it's a false word, or there are some reasons why we're not coming into this. And I want to present two to you this morning, the first of which I can only present. I will present this in a, a more unpacked manner in a later session. And number two, I'm going to talk about extensively this morning. But the first is that many times we're waiting for a season that is already upon us. We're waiting for something that's already here. And many times, as you know, that you're either before a season, in a season, or after a season, but we have these odd kind of moments where you're not, it's not really summer, it's not really winter, it's not really fall, and you don't know what clothes that you need in your closet anymore. And so we're kind of waiting for something out there but many times I'm convinced that when we say we're waiting on God, the bulk of the time God is waiting on us. Or it could be that God is getting ready to teach the church how to produce out of season. You know, I, I, I am a little bit concerned that many Christians have become hothouse flowers. What do I mean by that? is that as long as we're in the comfort and the confines of these four walls, people that smell right, dress right, talk right, we're in this rarefied air of worship, then our beautiful orchids can grow. And orchids are beautiful flowers. There's only one problem with them. They're extraordinarily fragile. And I believe that God is really wanting us to find out and to move us out of the hothouse of the church, sow us into a culture that may be out of season for what we have. It's another message. If we're waiting for the perfect season, we're going to still be waiting. But the second point is I believe that why many believers never inherit that which God 
has acquired on their behalf is that they don't really know what belongs to them. You're not going to stake claim to something unless it's very, very clear that at some point you were the owner of it. I mean, if your car, you lose your car in the parking lot, you're not going to file a police report. You're going to go look for your car. And you're certainly not just going to go up to someone else's car and say, well, I'll just take this one. It doesn't work that way. And yet many times I'm amazed at what believers don't know belongs to them. It gets manifested in their prayers. It sounds like, God, Jesus, Jesus, Lord, God, Father, if it be your will that you might, I know you're busy, check your schedule. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, Father. If, you, if it's be your will, if you, if you would heal me. And we wonder why we don't get anything. We wonder why those prayers never get airborne. It's because we're not stepping into that which the Bible has already declared belongs to us. Certain things we're wondering, is this really for me? Read your Bible. And for many of us, we don't need a new word. I still have cassettes. Now, some of, most of you don't know what they are, but they were a device that were used in the past. But the reason that I still have these cassettes is that most of them have on them Prophetic words, utterances, promises that were made about my wife and myself years ago that have yet to be fulfilled. Now, you might say, well, that might, they must not be real good words. Not necessarily. You realize that every word in this Bible is a seed waiting for good soil to fall upon so that it can grow a crop. Many of us have promises over our life that I believe in this moment God is wanting to re-promise us, reactivate. We need some re-revelation of some old things rather than just constantly being heat-seeking missiles looking for the new thing. Hmm. In short, coming into what we already have. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit was so intent about this that God says hey, he's placed the Holy Spirit in our life as a what? As a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You hold the receipt of every promise of God by means of the third person of God who now dwells on the inside of you. God can't make it any plainer than that. He can't make it any clearer that there is an eternal inheritance and there is, if you wish, temporal inheritance for us as well, citizens of an eternal kingdom. And yet we find all these excuses. It's not the right season. I need a new word. Let me give you a quick definition of excuse. It's a reason with no faith. An excuse is reason with no faith. Abraham recognized, I'm old. Now, I'm not going to tell Sarah, but she's old too. 
And we are well beyond childbearing years. But Abraham said he reckoned his body as dead. But what? He was commended as what? The father of faith. Because he did not allow what was a medical, what was a reason of age to block that which God wanted to do. Wow. So I believe God is wanting to move some excuses out of our way so that we can come all the way in. Joshua chapter 18. We see seven tribes who have yet to come into their inheritance. Joshua is helping them. Verse 3 of Joshua 18. How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. Now, please notice the verb tense here. It's not is going to at some point in the future. It is a past perfect tense. He has already done it. He has given it to you. The only challenge is you just haven't gone and gotten it yet. Wow. Do you realize that someone counted that there's 60,000 promises in this Bible? All of them are a has given you. And God is waiting to find out when are you going to step in and begin to take possession. Now go back one chapter to Joshua 17. Verse 14. Two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's kids, And the people of Joseph came to Joshua and they asked, Why have you given us only one allotment, one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. I preached this message four or five years ago and this year God has been just reinvigorating this passage to me. Now it's interesting that there was no real numerical grounds for the complaint. Now understand that Manasseh is now two half tribes that Manasseh had part of them had looked over on the other side of the Jordan with the Reubenites and the Gadites and decided we like this better over here. We're not going to inherit numbers, uh, numbers 32. And so we're talking about the half tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim combined 58, 59,000 people. Now these, this, this tribe was by far, or these tribes were by far not the most numerous. Dan, Judah, Issachar, all of them were bigger in this particular moment. So there's no real basis for we're very numerous and there's just not enough land for us here. Besides that, the land that they had been granted was some of the most fertile land, some of the best farmland in all of Palestine. So it was a really good inheritance. Verse 15, Joshua answered them, okay. If you're so numerous and if the hill country of Ephraim is still not enough, go up into the forest and clear for yourselves there in the lands, clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaites. And we'll talk about these boys in just a moment. But these were a race of giants. These were some formidable foes. These were guys that could dunk and didn't need to leave the floor. Big dudes to say the least. The people of Joseph come back one more time and they say, it's still not enough for us. Still not enough. Plus the Canaanites who live in the plain, they've got iron chariots. Man, they've got tactical nukes. 
They've got weapons we've never seen before. And you're telling us to go up there, move these guys, cut all these trees down. And Joshua said, yep, <laughs> you're numerous and you're very powerful. You will not only have one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Now, it's interesting to note when you go back and you look at the boundaries in that the request that Ephraim and Manasseh made, they did not get any additional dirt based on this request. What Joshua was telling them is that there's plenty here, but you're going to have to go to work and do something to make it usable. Stay with me. Clear it and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Now, I appreciate Joshua in this moment trying to not just do a little political dance with these guys, say what they wanted to hear. He told them right up, this is going to be a lot of work. These boys are armed to the teeth, and they're bad. Just going to tell you, this is going to be a fight. But you can win it. See, sometimes, I don't know where this came from, but somewhere in the body of Christ, we've gotten to the point that we are afraid to tell one another that we have a need. That somehow if we tell the truth about our condition, that somehow it's going to be a hindrance to faith. So you see people dragging in. How you doing this morning? Arterial spurt, dragging a limb behind. I'm fine. Pray. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And somehow that, you know, we can tell that you're in pain, but somehow you feel like if you tell the truth about this situation, that somehow God can't do a thing. And Joshua's just telling it like it is. Hmm. See, community, community will build that type of transparency where you can tell folk, I'm struggling. I'm in pain. I need help. That's why we need to do more than just adopt the culture of this place and become a community of people here. Amen? It's another message. Listen to the podcast from Wednesday nights. Three things I want to mention to you this morning real, real briefly so that we can inherit that which God has for us. The first is favor. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this, His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Have you ever bought something and it said on the package, lifetime warranty? And about the time that you got the item home, the company was out of business. So you felt real good when you bought it. But if you ever go and try to get it fixed or get it adjusted, they're out of business. They're gone. They've been gone. Now, let me just tell you, somebody that makes a warranty that says it lasts a lifetime needs to be somebody that's going to be around. God's always been around, and he'll always be around. He can back up this warranty that his favor lasts a lifetime. And yet, you and I don't believe that. We see the favor and the blessings of God as this fragile thing. And so like moths attracted to light, we tend to follow ministries all around the world trying to get into $20 healing line where maybe finally everything will line up and I can get blessed. The favor of God 
Or maybe it's just seasonal in its orientation. And this is just not the season for blessing. And the challenge is most of us have not defined favor correctly. We've defined favor as a circumstance rather than a condition. Listen to me carefully. Favor is not the manifestation of an ideal circumstance. It is the condition that God has declared over your life. Because if you are looking to manifest God's favor just based on what's around you, it's no wonder that we stay in some type of faith crisis. And yet many times the hardest place where God has you is the very place of his favor. You see, we know we, we've developed sort of a rapture mentality of certainly God wants to rapture me out of this. I work for, I work for Pharaoh. I'm married to the Antichrist. My children are the spawn of the devil. You don't understand my life. Except for Cynthia and Brett's 38, of course. And we don't understand. Proverbs 8.35 says, Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Do you realize just like the righteousness of Christ has been imparted to you, do you realize that the favor of God resides upon your life in the very same way? But it's not a circumstance. It is a condition. See, favor is not earned, it is bestowed. Mary, Luke 1. Now, if you're a Catholic, a former Catholic, I'm getting ready to upset you. Disclaimer. And I'm probably racking up some purgatory points, and so however that works. But let me ask you a question. What was so special about Mary? The collective air. <gasps> I mean, yes, she was pure. But there were probably thousands of young teenage girls waiting for a husband who, had, who were still virgins. Mary had not done anything really spectacular. And yet the angel comes and says, Greetings, Mary, you who are what? Highly favored. Not just favored, highly favored. And of course, Mary was immediately suspect of this. She thought, Is this the last thing you hear before you die? Because most of the time when an angel of the Lord showed up, it usually wasn't with good news. It usually was, you messed up, I'm taking you out. And here this angel comes and says, you are going to do an amazing thing. And this message not only marked, but marred her life. Wow. And yet, it just came upon her. The same way that the favor of God has come upon you. So how do we manifest this? How do, if, if this is the reality then, how do I bring this reality into this? First of all, I believe that one of the things that we lack or we don't understand is that favor has always intended to be contagious. It appears that many of the fastest growing things around the church world today are those things whereby which work this, get this. Do this, be blessed. Better marriage, more money, happier kids, whatever it might be, hair growth, whatever you're looking for. That if we do this, then this is going to be the result over here. I'm going to get mine. 
And yet God's intention was always for something that would be corporate. Not just looking for a collection of blessed individuals, but looking for a people that he could call his own. And to move, if we're going to move, I believe, and see favor come upon our life so that we can inherit, we need to understand it's not just about me getting mine, but it's something that's intended to be contagious. Hmm. Maybe the very reason God's got you jammed up in that place of business is because it's your presence there that the phone rings, customers walk in the door, and that business is in the black when all these other folk around them have gone out of business. You say, well, that might be all well and good, but I ain't seen none of that money. <laughs> no, but you've got a check on Friday, and you'll get a check next Friday. You may say, I'm just there. Sometimes that's all it takes. Maybe God's put you in that neighborhood with the rest of those knuckleheads. Can't wait to get out of here. Maybe you're there for a reason. Maybe that dorm, everybody, I mean, you walk out and there's a cloud of smoke in the hallway. Maybe he's got you there for a reason. Wow. See, God always intended for it to be contagious. Now, remember, we're talking about two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's tribes. But we look at something, we go all the way back to Genesis 39. What does it say? It says, God was with the man and he what? He prospered. As a matter of fact, everywhere Joseph found himself, what happened to him? Prosperity came off of him. Here he is in the house of the Egyptian, Potiphar. Potiphar noticed something, something different about this brother. Something different about him. And the more that Potiphar gave him, the more he multiplied it. To the point he said, Joseph was in charge of everything in his house and in his fields. And the Egyptian prospered. Why? Because of Joseph. That's why. And you look from ages 17 through all the way through age 30. Joseph is constantly jammed up. Whether it's Potiphar, whether it's being thrown in prison, finally being called up to, 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 to Pharaoh. And because of the favor in his life, not only did salvation come to Pharaoh and come to Joseph's family, it was a universal salvation because of Joseph's favor. You never know how God wants this favor to get off your life, to be contagious. We believe and we practice and we preach that all this stuff from the past that tries to come to us generationally, what the Bible calls a generational curse, we believe that the cross of Christ has broken every curse. Isn't that good news? Cursed is everything that hangs on a tree. He bore all those curses for us. And so the great news is, whether it's poverty or addiction or whatever it might be, you have the opportunity at your generation to cut it off and say, no, it will not move any further. That's great. But let me tell you what's even better. You have the opportunity at your generation to begin a cycle of blessing. You have the opportunity right now to say the favor that I recognize on my life, I'm going to set something in motion that my great, great, greats, that they're going to look back and say, I don't know what it is, but somebody back there did something right. And I know I'm benefiting in some forwarded favor that somebody started on my behalf. 
I don't know about you. I want to do that for my kids and their kids and their kids. That's how favor gets forwarded. The second is the forest. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Now, I don't know what it is about trees, but we get real romantic about trees. It's amazing. I think that tree, that tree's 100 years old, and it's tearing up the foundation of my house and my driveway, but I just love this tree. Can I help you? Cut it down. It's amazing what we get romantic about. You should be romantic about two things, Jesus and your spouse. That's it. That's all the romance that should be in your life. Everything else, cut it down. Oh, but you don't understand. I'm green. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm, it, cut it down. There's more standing timber in the United States today than there was 100 years ago. Cut it down. And yet when folk would come in and they were trying to develop land, whether the first time or subsequently, what's the first thing they have to do? Cut down trees. Do two things. Build houses and plant crops. Two things God calls us to do. Build and plant. And to do it, you've got to cut trees down. Wow. And that's hard work. You've heard the phrase, can't see the forest for the trees. Many of you can't see your inheritance for the trees. You can't see the farthest limits of that which God has ordained for your life because of all the trees that are in your way. Trees of circumstance, trees of sin, trees of selfishness. I love this tree. Well, it's a poison ivy tree and it's killing you, but if you like it, I guess it's okay. Cut it down. They're trees of busy. Folks, let me just tell you, most of us in this room, we're too busy. And you're like, oh, yeah, tell me about that. All these kids and all these places to go, and I'm working two jobs trying to keep on. Tell me about being busy. But here's the thing. Most of us have more control over that than we think. We really do. And they're trees of busy that most of us have no margins in our life whatsoever to ever step back and even survey what our inheritance really should be. You need to cut some trees down. And then the last one is you need to run the foes off. It says they're bad. There's no question about it. He said they've got iron chariots, but you're strong and you can drive them out. See, we all would love a no-hassle inheritance like the J.G. Wentworth commercial. It's my money and I want it now. No one's seen that commercial. It's pretty awful. Same guys that did the help I'll fall and I can't get up made that one. But anyway. And we would love to inherit exactly the same way. We just go into someone's office and plop down in a comfortable leather chair, sign some papers and walk out with a big bag of cash. That would be great, wouldn't it? The problem is I've never had an inheritance in God that didn't require a little bit more than that. Didn't require that we had to run something off that was squatting on our land. Imagine for just a moment that you go home this afternoon and you hear the TV on as you walk in the house. I thought I cut that off when I left today. And you walk in and someone is plopped down in your chair 
I mean, your chair that you've worked very hard for hours and weeks and years to make fit you just right. (laughs) Watching your 55-inch LCD. Watching a game on surround sound and eating your food out of your refrigerator. And you walk in and now the authorities call that home invasion. But you walk in and you see this guy sitting there and you just say, oh, um, okay, uh, let me just pack a few things and um, I'll give you the alarm codes and you, I, I'll be out of your way, okay? How many of you would do that? Not many. You know what I think you would do? Yo! What are you doing in my house, fool? We would be incensed that someone had violated that which we knew we owned in that way. Wow. There's a phenomenon called a southern grandmother. And it's not just a gender or a group of people. It is truly a phenomenon of nature. That if we could get six southern grandmothers together, we would not need a SEAL Team 6. <laughs> Tooth decay, world poverty, cancer. I mean, you just get six southern grandmothers together and it's pretty much a done deal. They are a force of nature, let me tell you. And some of you have heard this story before, but my grandmother kept a stick by the door. I said, what's the stick for? It's to run off the stray dogs. Don't know what it is about southern grandmothers and stray dogs. But there's an enmity that God put between these two groups, not unlike the woman and the serpent. And a dog would come into her yard and she would go out on the porch, forget the stick. She was way too angry by that. Just leave the stick. Go out on the porch and say, get out of here. Now, the word him, it's a universal word. It's translatable into every known language. I can't phonetically put it on paper, but I know what it means. Get out of here. Or if you were a child, come here. It means you, got, you better move. And I mean, she would go outside and make that proclamation. The dog would leave. The mice would leave the house. The termites would leave the foundation. Birds would migrate prematurely. Leaves would fall off the trees. Get out of here. Hey, what do you and I do? You know, you know, I know the game's not over yet, but could, could you, I tell you what, you can stay. Can I just have a little part of the couch? And we invite these things into our home. Rather than driving them all the way out, we try to make covenant with them. And we wonder, where's our inheritance? Oh, my goodness, we're sleeping with the enemy. Hmm. What have I said? I still declare to you that this is a year of sudden resolution. That we need to remove every excuse that's keeping us from coming into all that God has acquired on our behalf. 
And let me hasten to say this. This is not just about you getting your stuff. But it is an act of worship. That if it required Christ's death for you to have it, that when we fall short, then somehow we are reducing that which he's done on our behalf. First of all, you're favored, highly favored. God is for you. Who can be against you? Secondly, cut the trees down. Fall out of love with those things that are blocking the path for you to come into that which God has for you. And finally, you need to tell some folk, get out of him. And not just wait for them to come and inhabit your space, but proactively. You need to be scoping the land. And when you see anything beginning to encroach on your promise, you need to run it off. Pray with me.